Well, good morning, VRVC. You who are joining us online, thanks for being here. You who are here in the room, so great to see you and uh, so great to continue this One Another series. Grateful to John last week for leading us uh, to encourage one another. By the way, I was able to uh, celebrate my dad's 90th birthday with him and about 70 friends and, it was, uh, and family members. It was great. We also were able to have uh, a celebration of life for my mom, which had gotten postponed uh, during COVID. And so it's good to be there. It's so good to be back with you. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, serving one another. And so I'd love for you to have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, we're going to talk about how we can serve one another more effectively and how we can be like that Aspen Forest uh, where our roots are deeply connected to one another through mutual serving. And so 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 Hear the word of the Lord. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. I follow a a New York Times columnist by the name of Ross Douthat. And uh, he once wrote a review of a runaway bestseller by an author named Elizabeth Gilbert. If you haven't read her book or seen the movie about her book and her life, there's still a pretty good chance you've heard of the title and seen the title of the book. Uh, Just to set it up, Elizabeth Gilbert had a great day job as a travel writer. She had an apartment in Manhattan. She had a big house in the Hudson Valley with her husband. They were planning uh, to have a child together. And yet, just a few years into this seemingly beautiful life, she finds herself 3 a.m. locked in the bathroom and crying uncontrollably. She weeps over her life, this life that she doesn't want anymore. She falls to her knees in prayer, and she hears the voice of a God within. And after this conversation with this God, she leaves her husband, she leaves her house, she leaves her plans to have kids, she begins a spiritual quest. She spends four months in Italy eating and enjoying life. She spends three months in India finding a guru and uh, learning to pray through the help of a guru. And then she ended the year in Indonesia, the island of Bali, and she falls in love with a Brazilian businessman whom she marries and then later divorces. Anybody want to guess the name of the book? Ah, Eat, Pray, Love, exactly. Uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Well, Ross Douthat uh, said the book was a perfect representative of the modern-day religious Pilgrim, that person that describes themselves uh, as spiritual but not religious. And suffice to say that Douthat, a, a devout Catholic, uh, did not care for the book. Now, I haven't, re- I haven't read the book, uh, I haven't seen the movie, 
Uh, all I know is the title. Uh, and, uh, but, but I kind of wanted to borrow the title from my outline, only <clears throat> I want to alter it, uh, and I want to put all new content in it. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so am I really borrowing it? I don't know, but uh, maybe so. But I, I want to I, I look at the perspective, not of a modern-day uh, spiritual but not religious seeker, uh, but I want to look at this philosophy of life from the standpoint of a much older um, and wiser apostle of Jesus, a guy who's made a lot of mistakes, a guy who's experienced a lot of grace, and his name is Simon Peter. And we're going to see that Simon Peter has a bit of a different take on life and on how we seek God and how we spend our days on this earth. I think if you asked uh, Simon Peter uh, for his summary of how to find the secret of life, he wouldn't say to search for the God within, he would say to search for what he calls in chapter one, verse three, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we would see Simon Peter take a different path. His path would not be so much eat, pray, love, although I wanna make clear I have no problems with eating. Uh, especially eating your way through Italy. I think that's a fantastic idea. But, but I think Peter's motto would be more think, pray, love. And, uh, and, and when it comes to love, loving one another, especially through serving one another. So that's, that's the roadmap, and I hope it's memorable for you. I hope, I hope you think about those three words as you reflect later on the sermon. I hope you do reflect later on the sermon, by the way, and I hope you talk about it in your grow groups. And, and I hope that that philosophy uh, seeps into your mind and into your heart and eventually into your hands and feet. So we begin with that first word, think. Think. Now, why begin with the word think? Well, to answer that question, I want to put the first part of verse 7 up on the screen. 1 Peter 4, 7a is what we call it in the biz. Uh, the first part of verse 7 says, the end of all things is near. What a provocative statement that is. The end of all things is near. What would you do if you truly believed the end of all things is near? Uh, let, let me sort of change the question up a little bit. What would you do if you knew that something catastrophic was going to happen to the world as you know it? And that the world as you know it would be changed or the world as you know it, potentially your days are numbered. How would you live? Maybe some people would say, well, uh, I'd build an underground bunker and uh, I'd stock it with canned food and bottled water and Chex Mix. Uh, because you would have to have checks mix, wouldn't you, to survive an apocalypse. But, uh, so maybe that's what you'd do. You'd kind of be a prepper, and uh, you'd try to gain the system and to see how many extra days you could uh, squeeze out because of your underground preparation. What would you do if you knew the end of all things was near? Maybe you'd be like a, uh, a soldier about to be shipped off to the battlefront. And like so many soldiers, you would spend your days in partying and perhaps drunkenness because after all, right, the, the end is near. What would you do if you truly believed the way Peter starts this section of his letter, that the end of all things is near? Well, I think what the Apostle Peter would say is that this spiritual fact should cause us to think 
more deeply about the nature of time and about the nature of eternity. I think Peter would point us to the Psalms. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us, it's a prayer, right? Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Peter says, the end of all things is near. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days. Now, maybe some of you are are math majors and you're saying, now, Larry, if I'm not mistaken, the Apostle Peter probably wrote this letter sometime during the early 60s of the the first century AD. And uh, if we're living in the 2020s, 2020 minus 60, he was uh, a good 1960 years off of his prediction. That's one way to look at it. Peter was, was way off when he said the end of all things is near. But I think the Bible teaches us a, a different way to tell time. This might be a, a silly way of looking at it, but imagine that God in heaven has this, this big kind of redemption checklist, a redemption to-do list. And he's going through these tick boxes in, uh, in a consecutive order. And so he begins with, create a world for these humans and create the humans and, that, and then kind of check. And then uh, uh, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin and, and sin invades planet Earth, then, then it's uh, respond to this by uh, creating a new people to show the way through Abraham uh, and, and to lead through faith. Well, check. And then uh, Abraham's descendants end up uh, captive in Egypt for 400 years. And then it's lead uh, this people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. Check. And then it's help them establish their understanding as a people. Check. And then after uh, their sin and idolatry and after they are uh, uh, deported to places like Assyria and Babylon, it's bring them back through Nehemiah and Ezra, check. And then as we enter the kind of hinge between B.C. and A.D., God's redemption checklist really begins to heat up uh, and and it's send Jesus to the world at Bethlehem, check. And then it's let Jesus uh, die and rise again uh, from the dead, that first Easter, check plus. And then it's uh, Jesus ascends from uh, earth to heaven 40 days after his resurrection, check. And then Uh, 50 days after the resurrection, it's God and Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to found and to lead the church. Check. And there's one more box. (laughs) There's one more box on the redemption to-do list. And it's Jesus returning to earth as judge. And we don't know when that thing is going to happen. And it could happen thousands of years from now. And it could happen 10 years from now. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen today. But you and I, as people of faith, are called to think differently in light of 1 Peter 4, 7. It's almost like life is like a game of musical chairs. (laughs) And we don't know how long the music's going to go, but we know One day, suddenly, for us as individuals or for the whole world, either we go meet Jesus or Jesus comes to meet us, we know the music will stop. Life as we know it will end. And so we have an eye 
out for the ending. We anticipate the ending. The end of all things is near. And so we don't live our lives wasting our days by hoarding our stuff or, or, or fearing the future or, or, or parting and wasting our days. We think differently. So how does this impact us? Because this first step of think and think, pray, love is a crucial step. As we'll see, everything follows from it. How does this impact our minds today? Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a, a classic book called The Screwtape Letters. And uh, if you've never read it or heard of it, uh, and that's kind of a scary cover, isn't it? But it's, uh, uh, it's designed to be a, a series of letters from a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew, a junior demon named Wormwood. And uh, Wormwood is assigned to a human being, uh, his patient. And uh, in the 12th letter, Screwtape says to Wormwood, one of your main jobs is to continually distract your human, your patient. He says, you will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. Doesn't take a lot to distract your, your human. And he says, you don't even need, Wormwood, you don't even have to, to try to tempt your human with spectacular sins like murder. He says, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the human away from the light and out into nothing. Indeed, he says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Yikes! <laughs> I don't think, friends, it is too melodramatic to say that you and I are in a spiritual battle and that our enemy wants to muddle our thinking. Our enemy wants to keep us just constantly distracted. And he prefers perhaps even gentle distractions, right? That just edge us away and away and away from the light of the world, Jesus. You and I, though, are called to think, to think about what time it is, to think about what God has done in Jesus Christ and what God is doing right now, to use the cross and the empty tomb as our signposts that guide us toward the light. And if we do that, if we stop long enough to think, Peter says, we'll be able to pray. Now, I know the title of the sermon is Serve One Another, and, and uh, you know, but What's all this about thinking and praying? But we're going to get to serving, I promise. But, but, uh, but there's, a, there's a kind of uh, thinking and there's a kind of praying that leads us to serving. But I don't want to skip over this crucial step of prayer. And so let's put all of verse 7 up on the screen. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Alert thinking flows into effective praying. The deeper we understand what time it is, the deeper we understand what God is up to among us, we are led to pray with greater discernment and with greater specificity. This really challenges us, doesn't it, to think about our, our prayer life. I don't know about you, but I want to have greater intentionality uh, when it comes to prayer I was talking about this with a group of men yesterday in, in Glen Rose. I was leading a, a, a men's retreat, and we were talking about prayer. And, and I was talking about, have you ever had this experience where somebody um, asks you to pray for them? 
and you say sure and then you forget and then you see them like in the church lobby a week later and you go, uh, Lord be with Joanna, Lord be with Joanna, Lord be with Joanna. Hey, Joanna, I've been praying for you. You ever, you ever, had, you ever done that before, right? No show of hands, right? Come on, I'm not the only one who's done that. Come on. I, I, I sense there's a, a deeper engagement of prayer that the Lord wants us to have. We really think about what he is up to. I sense in, in the Apostle Peter and in, in the disciples this hunger to learn more from Jesus about prayer. After all, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, you know, we see you praying all the time. Powerful things are happening. Teach us to pray. That's where the Lord's prayer came from. It was, a, it was an answer to the request of the disciples. Teach us to pray. I, I think the writer James Finley says something so profound about prayer. He says, we pray not so much to recharge our batteries for the business of getting back to the concerns of daily life, but get this, but rather to be transformed by God, Romans 12, 2, so that the myths and fictions of our life might fall like broken shackles from our wrists. Clear thinking leads to powerful prayer, transforming prayer. Prayer that is soaked in divine reality. Now this combo of alert thinking and passionate prayer leads us to this third step, and it's the one we've been aiming for this whole sermon, and that is to love. Think, pray, love. Clear thinking plus passionate prayer leads us to a life of love. And I think that's this sort of culminating verse for us in verse eight, not the last verse, but but, but, but a summary of what it means. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. You know, whenever an apostle says above all, that's a really good time to take out a pen. <laughs> I mean, if you're taking notes and you want to know if this is going to be on the final and the apostle Peter says, above all, boy, we want to write that down. And what does he say? Above all, love one another deeply. It's not above all have a puppet ministry, although puppet ministry is great. But, but above all, if you're, gonna, if you're not going to do anything else with this, above all, love each other. Love each other deeply. I, many years ago, I, I heard a pastor encourage uh, his church to do something that sounded strange at first. He said, I want to encourage you to choose to cheat. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? But here's what he said. He said, we, we all have limited time and uh, sometimes your work will make uh, Pharaoh-like uh, totalitarian demands on your time. And then your family is also going to need a lot of your time. And he says, if you're stuck between work and family, and you have to choose to cheat A or B, he said, choose to cheat work. <laughs> Don't choose to cheat family. Above all, <laughs> love each other deeply. Yes, work and family are both important, but don't cheat the people in your life that need love from you the most. I almost hear the Apostle Peter say, if you've got to focus on one thing, let it be the people that God brings into your life. And then Peter gives this powerful motivation for loving others. I think he's actually paraphrasing a proverb. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up conflict but love covers over all wrongs, which I think Peter takes and then he paraphrases that to say love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, 
this kind of second half of verse 8 could be easily confused, right? Maybe you're saying, wait a minute, I thought Jesus' blood on the cross is what covers a multitude of sins. You're saying, if I love others, I can forgive my own sins? No, 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 that's not, that's not what it is. Here's what I, th- here's what I think it is. In fact, a, a commentator uh, really helped me with this. He said, imagine a church. We can, ma- we can imagine our church, right? Imagine a church body. He says, well, everybody in the church are sinful, and everybody in the church has their own kind of unique personalities, and sometimes our unique personalities have sort of sharp elbows to them, and everybody has their own little things they do that can potentially annoy or frustrate one another. And because we're sinful, uh, we are going to sin against each other. We don't want to, but we are going to do it. It's going to happen. And he says, if there's not this sense of forgiving love that's permeating the body, guess what's going to happen? Well, okay, this person offended that person. Well, this person offended that person. We need to have a meeting here. We've got to have a meeting here. We've got to have a meeting here. And he says all the church's energy for mission is going to be burned up in mediation meetings. Right? Every psychic bruise, we've got to. But he said, what if we just say, you know what? I know you're going to rub me the wrong way, and I'm going to rub you the wrong way, and there's going to be some times where we're going to just need to stop and confess our sins to each other. We'll talk about that next week. That's very important. But why don't we all agree? Why don't we just like the whole church put our hands in and say, we are going to prayerfully do our best to love and forgive each other. And that kind of mutual love we have is going to cover over a multitude of annoyances. All our energy is not going to be burned up internally. We're going to have energy for mission and for worship and for serving our community. Think, pray, love. Love one another deeply. But what does that love look like? Love can be a squishy word, right? Uh, and I, would, I think in this passage, one of the ways we love each other, I mean, really all the sermons in this series are different ways to love. We encourage and pray and forgive. There are different ways that we love. But I think the, the way this works out is we love by serving one another. And I think Peter teaches us there's two key ways that we serve one another. Two key things that we say to one another. That we in, in, implicitly say every time we gather in a grow group or every time we gather to worship. And the first thing that we say to each other is, my space is your space. My space, I don't mean the website, but my space, my house, my space, my attention, my prayer, my heart, my life is, is yours. That, that's called hospitality, creating space in our lives for others. And that's what Peter says to do in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I want you to think about that early church that, that, that Peter was writing to. They didn't have the luxury that we have of buildings and and budgets. I mean, if you wanted to have a worship service, somebody was going to have to clean their house, right? And and put food in the crock pot if you wanted to have a worship service because because everybody depended on that kind of hospitality. Uh, All these missionaries and apostles who were traveling across country, I mean, Timothy's not going to stay at a Motel 6. He's going to need a church member to put him up for a few days or a few months. And so Peter was saying, we offer hospitality by saying, my space is your space. Now, sometimes you can technically offer hospitality, but underneath your breath, it's like, 
Oh, I got these people coming over, you know, like, oh man, you know. And uh, the, the Greek word for grumbling, I love this, it's, it's gaguzmos. It's kind of a murmur. Ah, oh, gaguzmos, 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 I've got a gaguzmos, you know. But one of the ways we serve one another is we, we just say kind of my space is your space. Which, by the way, you know, one of the things we're talking about in our grow groups especially is we're kind of raising the risk ceiling. We're, we're, we're being a little more transparent with our lives. And I think one of the ways we can be more transparent is to be more transparent about opening up our space. It's like, you know, your house doesn't have to look like architectural digest to invite somebody over. You can say, hey, so glad you're here. Ignore the mess. We're, we, we're going to clear off a place on the table. And, uh, but we just want to be with one another. My space is your space. And then my gifts are your gifts. Verse 10 is such a beautiful verse. Um, and I, I, I hope we, we pray it today. I hope we pray this verse to God. Here's what verse 10 says. Each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards, managers of God's grace in its various form. All of you who follow Christ, you all have gifts that God has given you. They're different facets of the diamond of God's grace, and he's distributed them to you and the question for you is, are you going to keep those gifts, those spiritual tools locked in a shed in the backyard? Or are you going to say, no, no, my lawnmower is your lawnmower. My spiritual gift is your gift. I want to put my gift in play to serve you. Now, Peter divides these into kind of two big categories. The Apostle Paul has lots of different lists of lots of different kinds of spiritual gifts. But Peter basically kind of puts them in two big categories and for the purpose of simplicity, I'm going to call them speaking gifts and helping gifts. Speaking and helping. Uh, we find this, by the way, in, uh, in verses 11 and 12. And so uh, Peter says, if anyone speaks, if anyone has a speaking gift, teaching, preaching, encouraging, evangelism, they should, do, they should do so, they should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. And that doesn't mean... Uh, if you have a gift of preaching, you say, hey, earthling, God is speaking to me right now. Listen to the voice of God. We don't do that, right? We don't do that. Uh, but we should pray that God would, uh, you know, in his sovereignty, choose to speak through us. If anyone has, uh, serves or say has a helping gift, they should do so with the strength. Helping gifts can tire you out. They should pray for the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We don't use our gifts to be praised for our gifts. We use our gifts so that the church says, look at what God has done. Look at how God has distributed grace throughout the whole body. Let's praise God. My gift belongs to you. Your gift belongs to me. We use our gifts to build one another up and God gets the glory. Think, pray, love. Now I want you to think about uh, your, 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 your people, your, your grow group, say. How are we serving one another? How are we kind of freeing up the gifts that God has given us and putting those in play in our group? How are we creating space for one another? How are we being transparent with one another? There's a famous preacher whose name was William Sloan Coffin, 
And uh, in a sermon once, he shared this story. He said, yesterday I heard about a man who took great pride in his lawn, but he found himself with a large crop of dandelions. And so he tried every method he knew to get rid of them, but he was still plagued by dandelions. So finally, he wrote a letter to the Department of Agriculture, and he lists all the things he had tried to get rid of dandelions. And he closed with the question, what shall I do now? And the letter that came back from the Department of Agriculture simply said, we suggest you learn to love them. (laughs) I'm so glad that when Jesus came to the earth, his mission wasn't to get rid of dandelions like me. I'm so glad when Jesus came to the earth, he came to love me. He came to love you. He came to serve me. He came to serve you. And maybe there's, there's no better way for us to, to wrap up this, this study of this passage and to think about what we sang a moment ago, to turn our eyes on Jesus. Think about Jesus and the way Jesus thought. Jesus thought clearly, didn't he? He knew what time it was. He knew that his hour was coming and his whole life prepared for that hour, hours of sacrifice. He was ready. Jesus prayed powerfully. When Jesus prayed, things happened. He thought and he prayed so that he could love us more deeply than we could ever imagine. And he came to serve. And now we ask his Holy Spirit to help us think clearly and to pray wisely so that we can serve faithfully as the body of Christ. Church, so many feet need washing. (laughs) So many slights need forgiving. So many strangers need welcoming. So many ears need encouraging. So many hearts need touching. And praise God, God has enlisted you and me to be part of the solution for one another and for our community to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, so often our minds are distracted. So often, Lord, it's like we are just driving around in the fog and we don't know where we are. Lord, we pray that today you would help us to think clearly that we would know the end of all things is near and that wouldn't make us panic. It would just focus our minds so that we could pray with, with alertness and with a sober mindset that we could open our lives up to you. And then Lord, with our renewed minds and our hearts aflame with prayer, our hands and our feet and our lips would be so motivated to love deeply to do an inventory about the gifts that you've given us so that we might use our words and our deeds to serve your body. Not so that we would be praised, but so that the world would give glory to you. Lord, help us think that we might pray. Help us pray that we might love. In the name of the one who loves us more deeply than anyone could, Jesus Christ, amen.